Let's kind of have a seat this morning, grab your Bibles, and turn to John chapter 11. We're going to continue in our series as we walk all the way through the book of John, titled That You May Believe. And of course, we see in John 21 that that's the purpose of this book, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And so we're going to be in a very familiar passage today, probably a story that you've heard many, many times. Um, That's the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And I want to unpack a few things for us. So hopefully by now you've made your way to John chapter 11. I'm going to start out this morning. I just want to read, first of all, the first five verses, and then we're going to unpack some things, see all that the Lord has for us this morning. Let's start reading together in verse number one. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Verse 3, so the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Church, let's just pray, and then we're going to dive right in this morning. Father, man, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here and we can sing of your praises, that we can walk through your word, God, and we can see just in, in, in greater ways the power of who you are, the reasons that you deserve to be praised. Father, I pray even this morning that you would just remove distractions that so easily can flood our minds. Father, would you just open our hearts just to be tender and receive what you would have us for today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Because this is such a familiar story, um, I just want you to imagine a couple of things with me, first of all. And some of these you may have heard of, but um, if we start to consider, and if you've heard this story before, um, you've probably thought about this. Lazarus has to die again. So Jesus is going to raise him from the dead, but he's, he's actually got, he's got to die again. And, and I have no idea if, if Mary and Martha actually outlived Lazarus, but if they did they'd have to experience his death and his funeral again. And then if you're Lazarus, here you are, you've passed away, you've had this illness, all of these things in life that have pressed on you, and now you step into the presence of God only to be called back from that and into the middle of the sinful world. Which begs the question, why in the world would Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? And of course, we see in verse 4 that he gives us very clearly the reason for this so that God may be glorified, so that through the Son of God we might see his power and that God is glorified. But I want to know this. Have you ever thought, man, I wonder how in the world that intersects and impacts my life in any way? I mean, certainly it is that the resurrection gives us hope. That future grace that we can hope for and that we can cling to, man, that's significant for a follower of Christ, that we too one day will be raised again. But how is that 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 actually helps in the middle of life hurting? When bad news comes and you're undone. Some of you know, and I've, I've mentioned this on several occasions, so in my previous life, right now, right, I spent some time uh, in law enforcement, and one of the things that I absolutely hated the worst was having to deliver bad news. Hated it. 
If there was something that was going to give me butterflies in my stomach or make me, make me just ill, it's, it's having to take a knock on the door or walk into a hospital room or whatever that looked like and had to share bad news. Because when you do that, you get to, to get to both witness and, and even in my own life experience how receiving bad news just has a way of actually undoing us. I don't care what that news is. When bad news lands on us, sometimes it feels like it can cripple us. But Mary and Martha make a significant statement to Jesus in this text when they see him, and it really resonated with me as I, as I read this week. See, Martha in verse 21, and we'll get there in a minute, and Mary in verse 32 says this statement, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And I loved how they just expressed their hearts. This was not a condemning statement. They believed who Jesus was. They knew who he was. They had experienced his love and his personal relationship with them. But you know what? It didn't make the pain that they were experiencing any less pronounced. And I've been there a time or two in my life. I don't know. Maybe that has been true for you. You can know all of these things, and yet in the midst of that, your pain is still profound. Let me ask you a question that just kind of sets up our time a little bit for the morning. What goes through your mind when you hear a statement like these sisters make? Do you have anything in your life that, that, that you actually can relate to that experience? Have you ever been in a position where you've, you've asked questions because life doesn't make sense? And I mean questions that either you ask internally or maybe you ask to a spouse or a friend. Maybe sometimes those are questions in which you cry out to God in the middle of those, those difficult moments. They're, they're questions that actually swirl because, because what we're experiencing on one hand and then what we think we should experience over here, those things collide. And that's what draws those questions out of our soul. So we ask things like this, man, why didn't Jesus do something if he knew the pain that I was going to experience? You ever ask that? Sometimes we say, I thought, I thought he loved me. Why does someone who says that he loves me allow me to experience hurt if he says that they could have helped him? And sometimes we ask questions of ourselves. Like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong that Jesus wouldn't answer my prayer? And we wonder Things like this. Can I really trust Jesus when he allows hurt and heartache? Is Jesus really who I thought he was? Because if you've sat in church for any long length of time and you've heard over and over and over again how much Jesus loves you, but then you walk through life and you experience pain and you're trying to wrestle with that dichotomy, it doesn't make sense. So then we end up with statements like this. Man, it's not fair. It's not fair what my kids have had to go through. It's not fair what my spouse has had to experience. What I've gone through, that is not fair. I don't deserve to go through this. And if you've ever made a statement like that or if you've ever had a question like that at any time, then maybe the question that Mary and Martha asked actually resonates with you. Because that question is this picture of a tension that exists in our heart between what we know about Jesus on one hand, what we proclaim, what we see, 
And then the difference between what we're experiencing in the moments of life when it is really, really hard and we are confused and we are hurting. Have you ever considered, why do we question Jesus when we experience hurt? I don't know if that's something that you have ever in any way just even asked yourself. Like, why do I even question Jesus? I want to propose something to you. I, I think this is partly one of the reasons. Because what you're experiencing actually becomes the reference point by which you filter your experience and your expectations of Jesus. That make sense? Like sometimes it becomes our reference point of, of, of what we think Jesus is going to deliver and what we expect him to do. But you have a story. You are living that story. Your life is one big story. And just like Mary and Martha and the disciples, man, that's part of God's bigger story that he is writing over all of eternity, that includes each of our individual lives, that includes all of our stories. And those, those hard things that we experience, what happens is they can take our eyes from God's bigger story and they can bring them down to a place where the only thing that we can focus on is the details of our own individual stories. And that's what I mean by reference point where our expectations and experiences of what Jesus is going to actually deliver versus what we're experiencing means that we just sink down and we just start to swirl in everything that we are experiencing. So as we unpack chapter 11 today, I want to invite you, because I think Jesus is inviting us to just really wrestle with this one idea, that Jesus is inviting you to to believe that he is the resurrection and the life. We're going to see that in the text in a minute, which means that we actually can trust him when we experience his deepest love in our greatest sorrow. Now, as I read that statement, and you're looking at this text, and you're experiencing things in life, you're like, man, I would love to believe that that's true. But Aaron, I'll be honest with you. Like right now, that's not my experience. That Jesus loves me has not done anything to comfort the pain that I'm experiencing. Well, It's interesting because it's pretty clear in the text that Jesus loves Mary, and he loves Martha, and he loves Lazarus. And so here's a question that I'm going to pose to us as well that I think is really challenging for us to wrestle with in the church, and it's this. Could it be that Jesus' love includes allowing our pain? Now, that's not something I particularly like to hear. How about you? Like, I don't, I don't want to even think about that Jesus' love could include my, allowing my pain because that's a hard thing to wrestle with. But in verse 25, Jesus tells Martha, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in verse 26, he asks her if she believes that. Do you believe that? Martha, do you actually believe that? Of course, she has a beautiful response. See, what Jesus is doing here in this moment, it's a call to trust. When what we are experiencing now creates more questions than answers. Because Mary and Martha, they're in the middle of it right now. And so what we begin to see, I hope at least, is that his deepest love is actually displayed by the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. But when his expressions of love sometimes include painful parts of our story, we can struggle to even believe that he loves us. It's just a struggle that we have, church. I have thought through different pain points of my life. 
And there has been moments, because I feel like, man, I have, I have pastored a long time. I have studied the Bible. I think I have a pretty good, like, uh, a theological undergirding that, that forms my life about the sovereignty of God and, and how he's in control and what he is doing and how he is working. But when that truth met some of the most painful things that I've ever experienced in life, it was, it was a struggle, for me at least, maybe not your experience, but it was a struggle for me to believe that Jesus was good. And when I didn't believe that Jesus was good, it was really hard for me to believe that he actually loved me. But then to go beyond that and think about the fact that, wait a minute, maybe him allowing this pain was somehow an expression of his love undid me for a while. So the invitation that I want to bring us into this morning, because if that's you, or if it will be you at some point, or if it's ever been you, then we need to be invited in to actually see and taste the love of Jesus that is so much more deep and profound than a lot of times what we uh, experience it as. So I'm going to unpack. Um, I'm going to unpack chapter 11 by giving us some expressions of Jesus's love that we can trust because if He is the resurrection and life, the statement that He makes, if that is true, we can see that even in the most painful parts of our story, they are expressions of His love. So let's go on this journey together because here's this first expression that I think we can trust. Jesus is creating an opportunity to strengthen our faith. Now, let's unpack this statement. There's a lot I want to say about that, but verse 14, let's just read together. Then Jesus told them plainly, so he's talking to the disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Man, doesn't Jesus, at least, at least to me, he makes a shocking statement to me. Like, I, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. And I ask myself, like, what in the world does Jesus mean? I mean, if you think about the disciples, didn't they already believe? Didn't they know that he was the Christ? I mean, they had affirmed that. Listen, we're, we're almost to the end of Jesus' ministry here. We're only about four months away from the cross. So it wasn't like they had just been following him for about four weeks, and they're trying to flesh this thing out. Like, no, they had affirmed that they believed that he actually was the Christ. So then, well, what is it that Jesus is doing? Like, why would he even say that? Well, one of the reasons is that believe kind of in this context is this idea that we are a people that are trusting with hope and expectation, that Jesus is actually going to prove reliable. Let me put it in one phrase. He wants to strengthen their faith. Yeah, he wants to strengthen their faith. He's going to take them on a journey that they don't necessarily want to go on, and you'll see that here in a minute as well to strengthen their faith. So how is it that Jesus creates opportunities to even strengthen our faith? Well, he allows us to experience what is painful in order to accomplish his purpose. Now that's a sentence, that's a line we gotta unpack. So verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Stop there for a moment. Jesus loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, listen, think about that, church. Jesus stays two days longer when he could have intervened. He let him die. Can I tell you something that maybe you're thinking, maybe you're not, maybe I'm going to create this bit of whatever angst in your soul. 
Um, I actually hate it when somebody tells me that, that my pain is something that God is using to accomplish his purpose. Like, I, I hate that. Like, I don't want to experience that. You're telling me that my pain is going to accomplish my purpose does not seem to alleviate what is going on in my soul. You know why? Because sometimes my pain feels like I am being tortured. And then I'm being told it's for my good. So you're telling me that Jesus, who says he loves me, allows me to experience pain. At the same time, you're telling me that it's actually for my good because he loves me. If that doesn't create a tension in you, I, I don't know what does as you experience really difficult things. And yet here we are having to wrestle with this text in which we see that's exactly what it is that Jesus is doing. How is it that it could be that he would do that if he really loves me? And listen, let me just pull a couple of things out because I think it's helpful for us to start to frame this in a way that gives us a little bit of clarity. See, Jesus knows the future that you have yet to experience even though you don't. Your future story, what you are going to encounter and experience that has the potential to undo you in a way that weakens your faith, in a way that actually creates doubts in your soul. See, a lot of times what the Lord is doing is, is what he actually knows that we need in the future. Now, here's the problem with that. A lot of times we say, um, man, you just got to have faith to believe that. But that's a struggle. So I want to present to you the fact that there are probably, there is a couple of paradigms. We can actually have faith in Jesus and that we can believe Romans 8.28 for he works all things for good according to, for those he loves who are called according to his purpose. So we can either believe that or we have to believe that all of this is meaningless and that your suffering is meaningless and that Jesus actually isn't who he said he is. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but for me, that's a struggle because, man, I don't, I don't necessarily like that some of the things that Jesus allows in my life in order to strengthen my faith, include moments of pain, but I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that all of it is meaningless. So we have to think through those two paradigms and think about the disciples. I mean, what they're experiencing, because they're with Jesus in this moment, and they didn't know the future cost of following Jesus, but he did. And in this moment, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to use their present circumstances to build their faith for a future that was going to include a lot of hard times and very, very difficult days. And what that does is it just gives us a little bit of a window into how the Lord works to, to bring this truth to light when we are people who are struggling with this question. Why would Jesus allow this? See, it begins to reframe our understanding about what it is that we're experiencing. But listen to me, church. Just because we can gain clarity, just because we can begin to know this truth, does not mean that you're not still experiencing pain in the middle of it. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, well, now I see what Jesus is doing, even though I don't have that uh, future knowledge. So my pain is gone. That's not how that works. Not how any of this works, right? You've experienced life. I'll, uh, I'll never forget. There's a lot of this story that, just for time's sake, I can't tell. But there was a time in, in the life of our family where, man, I experienced extreme betrayal. 
to a place that it catapulted our entire family into a really difficult season that actually lasted several years. And it was hard. And I didn't know what to do with that. But it was especially hard because of the way that it also impacted my kids. My girls were just coming into being teenagers at this point. My son was just going into fourth grade. And our life, because of one betrayal, was upended. Now, in the middle of that, I'm trying to, and like, I understand this truth, but the pain that I was experiencing just made me angry, and I was hurt. And the fact that God was using that in my life was one thing, but you know what I didn't want to know? That he was using it in the life of my wife or my kids, because that just seemed too much to bear. And as I had to wrestle through those realities that this is actually what had happened to us, it created in me all sorts of fear, fear that I have struggled with for years. So when we go, and man, as I was even studying this text this morning, there was just this sweet reminder by Jesus that he actually has authority over our fears. That doesn't mean you're not going to experience them, because you're going to see this, but that he has authority over it. So... Look at verse 7 with me. So then, after this, he said to his disciples, so Jesus says, listen, I'm going to stay a couple of days. And then in the place where he was, then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in by day, he does not stumble. Because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, after saying these things, he said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Okay, so here's what I love. The disciples, like they remind Jesus that the Jews want to kill them like he forgot. Hey, Uh, Jesus, I'm not sure if you remember, but they kind of want to kill you, and they really wanted to do that in Judea, so perhaps we shouldn't go over there. Now, it's not like Jesus didn't know this, but what's coming out of that statement? Like, that's a statement of fear. And sometimes when we look at the horizon of life, What we don't know but expect might happen just creates fear. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They're like, oh, if we go back to um, to Judea, what's going to happen? And they're going to kill us. And I love, we didn't read it, but the end of that little section. And then there's good old Thomas. Well, let's go. We can die with him too. Like, who makes that kind of statement, right? Yeah, well, I guess if it's going to happen, let's go. We can die with him too. That's not what I'm saying in the middle of it, I'll just be honest. Now, there's a lot that I don't actually have on time to unpack in those verses, so let me just give you the synopsis of that phrase that Jesus says. He's basically saying this, they can't take my life yet. Like, I have authority over their plans. So when we, when we see Jesus say, hey, we're going to go back there because I'm going to raise a dead guy to life, he's saying I can take them right into the seat of hostility because I have an authority that is greater than whatever circumstances that we are facing in the moment. 
So the question I have for all of us is, how is it that just maybe abiding a little bit in that truth, as we see that in the Word, like how might that help to strengthen our faith a little bit in the circumstances that we are facing? Listen, you don't have to understand all that Jesus is doing. But sometimes just knowing that he has authority over that impacts our soul when we're just struggling to believe it. Not only does he have that authority over our fears, but he also demonstrates his power in our past so that we can have hope in the present now. Let me show you that. Verse 23, what does Jesus say? He says to her, talking about Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall he live. Now, I want you to think about this. Consider for just a moment seeing the power of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Like, would that not strengthen your faith when the world felt like it was absolutely falling apart? If you're standing there and Jesus is before this grave, this tomb, this stone, which, let's be honest, we're going to see that in just a, a few months, aren't we? That exact same thing, we're about four months away from the cross. He's standing in front of this, and he looks, and with all the power of heaven, he says to Lazarus, come on out. It would strengthen your faith in that moment. It would be like, yes, look at this is, this is what, this is the power that Jesus has. And what I wonder is, 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 is it true for us at points that when we look at what Jesus is doing right now in the power in our lives actually gives us, or in the past rather, actually gives us hope for the present circumstances? I, I just want to ask you a question. What has Jesus ever done in your past that is powerful and miraculous and beyond what you can describe that you can, you can look back to that demonstrates the hope that you need in the presence. Because let's be honest, when life undoes us, it, doesn't, it feels kind of hopeless, doesn't it? It just does. Um, I've mentioned as well, I went uh, to pastor a church in Colorado for a couple of years. There's a lot that goes with that story, but it, it kind of anchored in with the last story, betrayal and all this kind of stuff. And, and here's, what, here's what we knew. We knew going into it that there was going to be some difficult situations, um, but we didn't know the to what extreme that was going to be. Uh, and so for a lot of reasons that we don't have time nor do you care, I just want you to understand that, man, there was, there was a time when our family faced an undoing like we have never faced before. And so we get there, and the search committee that hired me, they wanted to share this story with me. Like this is the week after I got there, they shared with me this crazy story Hey, they said, hey, we want you to know something. So we're sitting around this conference room, and uh, we got 250 resumes for this position. And, uh, and, and listen, there was a reason for this, but I was just bold. I, before I went out to that interview, I just picked up the phone and said, hey, um, I know I'm not who you want, but I'm who you need. <laughs> Can you imagine that audaciousness? I am supposed to be your pastor. I don't know why. That's what I'm supposed to do. So... Uh, but it's not, it's not who they wanted because really they wanted a guy that was no more than 30 uh, with a PhD with 25 years of pastoral experience. So, um, <laughs> like, well, 
Jesus wouldn't hardly fit that bill. They told me, they said, 250 people applied for this. I had no idea. And they said, you, you made that call to us, which was really, you know, obnoxious maybe even. And we kind of looked at the resume and we're like, yeah, that's definitely not who they want. And they physically would put me underneath the, uh, on the pile. They, so they had a stack on this conference room table. And then they would go and they would start talking about other candidates and they would look back down at the table and physically my resume was back on top. Now, that happened not once, but like three or four times during the course of a couple of these meetings. Now, you asked me to explain that, I can't, okay? Like, I, that is something that I can't possibly explain to you how that works. But here's what I know. There were times when I needed to be reminded that God's power and what he does and the way that he works and how he provides and what he providentially does to move things around is beyond the scope of what I can always understand, but I needed it when life became undone because I needed to know not only that God had me, that his power had been sufficient and it had placed me right where he wanted me when the only thing I wanted to do was to quit and to flee. So what about you? What has Jesus done in your past that you have seen powerfully that you need a reminder of that with what you're experiencing right now? I just needed to remember. Here's the second expression that we can trust. We also can, we can just trust that Jesus is going to comfort us even in our deepest sorrow. In our deepest sorrow. Look at verse 28 with me. So, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. So Martha, when she had confirmed to Jesus that he was the Christ, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw her, Mary, uh, he saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, like same statement here, right? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with him were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Man, Martha, Mary are reeling because death has a way of doing that. But so does every hurt that you've ever experienced in life. And if you've experienced significant hurts, it can leave you reeling. You can be in a place of deep sorrow. And you know what sorrow is? Sorrow is that grief because we ever are experiencing loss or even the perception of loss. It's, it's saying this, man, this is what should have been. I didn't get enough time with my brother. And I don't care if it's death or if it's, if, it's, if it's something else. When life is hard and it hurts, we actually are in this deep sense of sorrow and grief. When a dream dies that you've had, when a relationship ends, when kids wander from, from your home into catastrophe, when you've experienced betrayal or abandonment, or if you've been abused or you've been neglected, Man, what that does in that moment is it leaves us looking for comfort in someone who cares. And what I want us to see about Jesus in this moment 
is that the moments of pain that we experience aren't just about producing a stronger faith. As true as that is, as beautiful as that is, Jesus' love also means that his deep, he, has, he has deep compassion for everything you're experiencing. He's our comfort because he's the God of all comfort. See, that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. So how does Jesus even comfort us in our deepest sorrows? Well, man, one of the things that I think is so sweet is he actually shows us his compassion with his presence in our pain. See, in verse 33, when it says that Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled, the idea here is an involuntary gasp. (gasps) If you actually fully transliterated it out of the Greek, it would be a horse snorts. Now you got a picture, right? That that idea when, when, when you get news and, and all of a sudden, here's what I want you to see, Jesus. Jesus is facing Mary and Martha, and what's happening? Man, they are weeping, and they are sorrowful, and there's great loss that they're experiencing here in this moment. And it takes Jesus' breath. And see, a lot of times, I think we just miss the humanity of Jesus. Man, I want us to not, not underemphasize either the full divinity of Jesus nor the humanity of Jesus. But I do want us to know that in this moment, he felt deeply for them. And listen, he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew he would raise Lazarus. But yet, we can see from Isaiah 53 that he he is the man of sorrows. That he is acquainted with much grief. And maybe, perhaps, we just need to consider that this physical response is just one of the demonstrations of his love. It helps us to know that Jesus is not someone who is in some way disconnected from the realities of our human hearts and all of our hurts. He does not dismiss your pain. He doesn't consider the pain that you're experiencing insignificant. Oh, but he does something about it, which is so beautiful. And that is that he invites us to believe that he is the resurrection and the life that we need. See, look at verse 25. We're going to do this again. Look at verse 25 when he says, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, I love what she responds with. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in to the world. Man, what does Jesus give us that is more comforting than raising Lazarus from the dead? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, certainly that was joyful. Church, he gave himself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The sixth I am statement in John And that I am statement is significant because it is the name of God going all the way back to the Old Testament. God gives himself. So how is it that we experience his comfort? 
When, when we trust Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God dwells in us, and He gives us the ability to actually abide with Him, because in our salvation, we are now in union with Christ. So listen to me. If you have not yet trusted Christ for your salvation, if you have not believed, here's what I want you to know. Your sin, which separates you from God, now and for all eternity means you are not in union with Christ. You do not have communion with him. But if you have trusted Christ, now the sin that had one time separated you has brought you into a place where you can now be in communion with the very one who created you in such a sweet and significant way. We can abide with him through his word because remember what we know in John 1. Jesus, who is the word, has given us the word so that as we abide through the word, it comforts us in the middle of our sorrow. That's what I love about the, the Psalms. To see David, who in agony, because they're very emotive, describes what he's experiencing and he brings to bear on his life the truth and reality of God's word. And we can experience, just like the disciples, who he takes along in this journey to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the more that we abide. Church, let me ask you something. All right, it's quiz time. We'll see how good Johnny does every week. What's the definition of abide at Salem Chapel? Yeah, you're eh, not too bad. One more time. You can talk to me. It's okay. What's the definition? All right, that's pretty good. I, I'll give you that. As we walk with Jesus by abiding in his word, he comforts us in our sorrows. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Let me give you this third expression when we'll be done. We can also trust that Jesus is our confident hope, both in the present and for our future. Look at verse 38. Jesus, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. All right, let me pause there for a moment, just so we can see the significance of what Jesus is going to do. So there was an old Jewish superstition that said this. Um, if, if you were, once you died, up to three days, that... They thought like the soul lingered above the body. That meant that there's the possibility that you could come back. Of course, that had never happened, but nonetheless, that's what they believed. We, we have silly superstitions as well, right? So when you get to day four, you have what Aaron refers to lovingly as dead dead. Like there's no opportunity here for even in their superstition for Jesus, or excuse me, for Lazarus to come back. So when Jesus waits and he allows them to experience this, he's going to demonstrate that you can't claim we once finally saw this superstition come true. Oh, no, he was dead, dead. Significant. Four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, 
his hands and his feet unbound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Can you just think for a moment what, like what Martha had to have been thinking when Jesus tells her to take away the stone? How emotionally undone would it be to open a grave? Like, I think one of the reasons that in the text we, you know, we see this, this like, hey, Jesus, um, in case you don't know, we're at day four, we don't embalm people, um, that's going to smell really bad. And we, we read that, but what we don't consider is how that would have landed on her. Can you imagine a grave opening of someone that you love dearly and happen to experience the decay, the smell of the decay of death? It would undo you. It would undo you. And, and Jesus does something here, though. He says, now listen, if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God. And you know what he does in that moment? as he's having this interaction with, with, with her, he says, let me just give you the confidence that you need. And sometimes we can have the same experience. We say that we trust Jesus, but our confidence can waver in moments when what we are facing seems impossible and it hurts so badly that we just want to disappear into despair. She's looking at that tomb thinking, okay, I know what you said about yourself, but he's dead dead. And I'm not sure that I'm very confident that you're going to make him alive. Apply that to your own life. How is Jesus our confident hope? Well, I think one of the things that it's really cool is we see that he provides the power necessary to actually keep the promises that he makes. See, when Jesus says, take the stone away, they are going to see the power that keeps his promises. So what had he told Martha? Martha. Earlier in this text, he says this, your brother will rise again. Now, of course, she thought, well, yeah, someday. I, I know that, Lord. Like, someday in the resurrection. Like, someday I will get to see him again. And that's true. And that's a hope we need to hold on to. Like, yes, there is a resurrection for Lazarus again someday and for every single one of us. But in this particular moment, Jesus had just made a promise to her that she didn't fully understand, but that he would demonstrate he has the ability to keep the promise because he has the power, and right now I'm going to raise him. And I can't imagine what's swirling as this scene begins to take place. So where do you need to apply that? Is there something right now that just seems hopeless? Is there something that seems unsalvageable in your life? And I want you to know that his promises go far beyond just what we hope for, but they actually provide what we need. Yeah, life's going to fall apart sometimes from a human perspective. And when we think about the promise, one of the promises that I, I, I love in Scripture is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He ain't going to leave you. Now, does that mean I always feel like that's true? No. But if Jesus continually has demonstrated his power, we can believe the promises even when our soul doesn't want to feel like it's true. He has the power necessary, but he also proves that his power is greater than our doubts. Read it one more time, the last four verses, 41 through the end of the text. So they took away the stone. 
And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. Now his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Can I be honest with you? I doubt all the time. I doubt. Life is hard and I doubt. And sometimes my doubt actually gets the best of me. I, I want to be the guy that can stand up here and tell you that I always live in confidence all the time. But you know what? That would be a lie. It would paint a picture to you of one of your pastors that doesn't exist because sometimes I just doubt. My circumstances and my emotions can actually strike me in such a way that it, it like takes me beyond my ability to actually feel like I have any confidence whatsoever. And if that's ever been you, you're not alone. You're not alone because somehow we have the notion in, in churches today that being a Christian says, I am never going to doubt. I am always confident. Now, the problem with that, and if you hear that anywhere from the pulpit, it's nonsense. And you know that because you've experienced that. You've experienced doubt. But I love what Jesus does here. He prays out loud for the purpose of exposing the doubts to everyone who's watching. And now all of a sudden, look at their eyes are fixed on the tomb, and he tells Lazarus, come out. And he did. Some commentators would say if he didn't name Lazarus by name, that they all would have came out. That's the power that Jesus has. Now, and we're almost done. You would think that that would forever remove any doubts. Talk to me again. Who's, who's going to join Aaron on this train that says, man, I think if I saw a dead guy just come out of the grave, Mike, I'm all in. Right? My confidence is secure. I would never doubt Jesus again. Anyone willing to make that with me? Right? Yeah, some of us are going, that would. Now, here's the problem. Who was in the crowd? Thomas. The same guy who earlier said, yes, let's go die with him. The guy that throughout church history we've actually known and called Doubting Thomas. The one who wouldn't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead until he touched his hands and seen his feet. That same one. So if you ever think that just witnessing miracles erases all of your doubt, Thomas proves otherwise. You're in good company. Hallelujah. And that means this, that as good as my past experiences of Jesus' power displayed in my life, I can minimize and dismiss those things in my current circumstances. Because sometimes my reference point is in the details of my story that does not allow me to see God's bigger story. It is only the power of God's word that reminds me and strengthens me as the primary source to stir my soul so that I might believe that the power of God is real when my heart doubts, when your heart doubts, when you can't believe it, when you're undone. That's why abiding with Jesus is the key, and that's why I had you just share with me the definition. 
Because when Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you do nothing, he actually means that apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, he's not making that up. Like, really? Abiding with Jesus is this ongoing, like, never-ending necessity that we have to embrace. Listen to me, church. We want to look for all of the therapies in the world to try to to help us deal with, with what it is that our soul experiences. And Jesus says, I am that I am, and I've given you me. I've, the fullness of God is yours. Will you abide with me? And as you do that, he takes our pain, he reframes our circumstances He helps us understand our emotions and he puts them in a proper perspective, a perspective that reminds us that our story, the one you are living right now, is being lived out under a greater story, a story that whether or not you can struggle to believe this is themed by love, love that is the thing that strengthens our faith, that comforts us in our sorrows, that helps us live with confidence in Christ even when we don't feel like it. As we go into this this last song, here's what I want you to know, church. Lazarus is so much more than the story of raising one dead man to life. It's our story. It's the Ephesians 2. We who before Christ were dead in our sins and trespasses, we've been now made alive together with Christ Jesus. And when we believe that Jesus is our our resurrection and our life, when we've trusted that, it does a couple of things. It changes your life now, but it changes it for all eternity. God is glorified in your life when you realize that you're the dead man just like Lazarus, and he has called you to new life. Father, help us to just know and understand that truth. God, help us just to worship you because of who you are. And God, just press that into our souls in the moments when life is so utterly difficult. Father, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.